Good morning and welcome to the 425 Show, your place to be for all things real estate and lifestyle related. I'm your host, Nicole Mangina. With Windermere Real Estate, I have been helping clients buy and sell homes here on the east side for over 20 years now. It's been an amazing ride. And I thought I'd start off the show today by answering the question that I am most often asked, which is, how's the market? Like a lot of questions, it depends. Uh, It depends because there are lots of micro markets out there, and it really depends on where you fall into that. You specifically, are you looking to buy or sell? Is it your first home? Are you moving up? Are you downsizing? Um, Do you think you're going to have the house for a long period of time, short period? Are you buying a rental property? And then there's the market itself. And there's the micro market of the city that you live in, the neighborhood. What type of property do you have? Do you have a single family house, a townhouse, view property, acreage? All of those things play into your micro market. And that affects the answer to how's the market. So if you are thinking about buying and selling real estate, I highly encourage you to reach out. You can always find me at Nicole at NicoleMangina.com for email. Um, And I am happy to answer the questions. If I work your micro market, let's chat. If not, my commitment to you is I will get you connected to an agent that does specialize in your micro market. Part of having done this for so long is I have a wide network of agents that I'm connected to. And I'll make sure we get you all set up. So again, you can always find me via email, Nicole at NicoleMangina.com. And without further ado, I would like to interview today's guest, David Williams. How are you? Nicole, I am great. It's a wonderful time to be here. Thank you. Uh, You know, the whole purpose of this show is helping people find out more about where they live. Because the buying and selling houses part is fun. Mm -hmm. It's important. But really, it's about helping people fall in love with where they live. Um, and so I'm excited to have you here today because you are a big part of that. <laughs> well, I try. I try. Um, because you uh, you run, you are the executive director of the Hydroplane Museum, which is a huge part of Seattle's history. Well, well, that's right. And you know, if, if you're of a certain age, your whole summers as a kid were taken up with watching the hydros, going to Seafair. Um, and it's, it does play a big role in who we are and why we are the way we're, we are. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited. Thank you. We're going to okay. talk about that today and your recent book, Race to Freedom, the Myra Slovak story. <laughs> I had to practice that like eight <laughs> times before we started the show. So I think I got it right. Is, correct? You did. That's you did. And, and the book sort of ties, it, it ties Boeing and the Cold War and the CIA and hydroplane racing and sea for all together in a nice little package. It's a fascinating book. And in fact, you can also go to the website, NicoleMangina.com forward slash podcast after the show. And we'll have links to all of this. Oh, good. So the Excellent. Hydroplane Museum, how people can get the book. I really recommend people. It was a fascinating read. Well, thank I you. I loved it. Thank You're you. You're a great writer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried. Yeah. So we got connected years ago through my sister-in-law, yes. Suzanne. We have to give Suzanne Dittmar a big shout out. Shout Thank out you. to Susie. I know. Susie, <laughs> I, before the show, I said uh, her, in our world, she's Aunt Susie to our boys. Yeah. That's how she's known in our world. If I call her Aunt Susie, she'll probably get upset. Maybe. You, you never <laughs> I'll know. I'll try. <laughs> uh, because we have done a number of events at the Hydroplane Museum um, is how I first got introduced to all of this. Yeah, the museum, you, you can rent the museum for just about anything. We do... High school graduations, and, oh, and we've done one wedding, which is a really special woman to put up with that. We've done lots of wedding <laughs> receptions and, and birthday parties. But I think you came, um, Susan's rented it a, a number of times for 
uh, Relay for Life events. Yes. And uh, we're happy to do that type of thing as well. Awesome. So let's talk about the museum. Okay. How you got involved in it. And then we'll um, dive into Myra's story as well. All right. Well, I absolutely, as a little kid, um, I was watching a race that Myra Slovak was in on, on Lake Coeur d'Alene. And just fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with the noise and the spectacle and the spray and the color. And at five years old, I decided that that's what I wanted to do really? when I grew up. Yeah, I love it. So if there are kids out there that you know are, are looking at Russell Wilson mm-hmm. and going, oh, I want to play for the Seahawks. That's kind of how it starts. Yeah. You, 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 you get a passion. You follow it. Um, you practice it and you get good at it. And maybe someday you can make a living at it. I lo- so do you drive the hydroplane then or how do you, what was your um, path? I I came through to it. Um, I drove amateur, okay. but I worked um, professionally as a boat builder and a crew chief and an okay. engine man. And eventually I did drive. Uh, I drove turbines at Seafair for about five years. Okay. Um, I've been driving vintage hydroplanes for 25 years. I'm just trying to do the math right, but yeah, <laughs> since about 1993, <laughs> about right. I've, okay. I've been yeah. driving unlimited hydroplanes. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, and hydroplanes are like none other. I mean, to go watch them and experience it just as a spectator, I can't even imagine they're what it's like to be big part of it. And they're loud and they're, uh, they're exciting. They're, they're 30 feet long. They weigh 6,000 pounds. They go about 180 miles an hour. Wow. Um, and it is, it's, it's quite something to, to drive them. It's sort of like, uh, you know, some people equate it to bull riding. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very intense. It's very physical. Um, but it sure is worth it. And it's, I mean, it is part of the Northwest history. Right? It, I mean, it's been here for a long time. We started racing as a sport. We started racing here in 1951. Wow. And it was the first real big league professional sport. The first time network TV came to Seattle, it wasn't to cover the Huskies or the Seahawks mm-hmm. or the Sounders. It was to cover hydroplane racing back in 1955. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And uh, and back in the day, the sport was really dominated by these big name industry giants. Mm-hmm. We had... Sam DuPont, like okay. from DuPont. Wow. We had Edgar Kaiser from Kaiser. We had Horace Dodge from Dodge. We had Bill Boeing, um, Warren Avis from Avis. You know, all all these names that you uh, that you see as you know, Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. These were real guys, and these are guys that raced hydroplanes, and that's wow. how they first started coming to Seattle was for the boat races. That's cool. And is hydroplane is that a predominantly Seattle thing, or I think it's from reading your book, it's actually national, isn't it? it? It's had its ups and downs. Okay. Um, right now it. It's got probably three, four hotbeds around the nation. Okay. San Diego, California, Detroit, Michigan, uh, Indiana, and, and Washington State are, okay. are the places where it's big now. But it used to, it has in its day, it's been big all over the, the, the country. Miami yeah. and you know, Washington, D.C. and Buffalo, New York and places like that. That's awesome. Cool. And so, and you've been involved with the museum now for a long time. I started volunteering at the museum in 1993. Okay. So that's... That's I've been lucky to, yeah. to spend the last twenty five years doing doing what you love doing what I love. Yeah. Cool. I'm probably surrounded by some really neat people. I have met too. some very very neat people, and that's a great segue into into the book. Yeah, let's talk um, about it. Myra Slovak was a um, a Cold War hero. That's how he, you know, he was famous about three different times in his career. Mm-hmm. But the first time he he was well known in the U S. was um, he had been. Excuse me. Been raised in communist Czechoslovakia. Right. Uh, could not stand life under the communists, so he hijacked an airplane, flew <laughs> it across the Iron Curtain, brought uh, some passengers with him, uh, brought a whole big stack of documents um, that he turned over to the CIA, and the CIA 
thought, well, this guy's pretty cool. So they hired him, and he worked um, for the CIA for a number of years. And then as a reward for the great job he did for them, they Mm -hmm. got him sort of the coolest, cushiest job you could get a pilot, which is being Bill Boeing's personal pilot. Sounds like a good gig. I think it would be a great gig. And uh, and he and Bill got to be very, very close friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually Bill, living in Seattle, got involved in boat racing and... Mm -hmm. And he asked Myra, hey, do you want to drive my hydroplane? Um, well, actually, first he asked Myra, have you ever been in a boat before? And Myra said, oh, sure, lots of times. Well, would you like to drive my boat? Well, of course. So he hired him to drive the boat. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that Myra didn't tell Bill was the only boat he'd been in was a kayak that went seven miles an hour. <laughs> um, so that's a pretty big step from an eight-foot kayak that goes seven miles an hour to a 30-foot boat that goes 160. A little bit. That's kind of the type of guy Myra was. He he could, he could talk his way into anything. And but then he produced as well. He did I mean, produce. He, and it was you know so you just gave a, an overview of his story, but you really go pretty deep in it in the book, and it's fascinating to hear, kind of some of what Myra went through in Czechoslovakia before he, um, you know, defected. I don't know. If yeah, that's defected the right, is is the right, is the right word. word. Um, and and the courage he had to have to do that because you didn't know who you could trust or what was going on. Like this thing could have gone south at any point in time. It, exactly. And when he lived here and you know, he, he defected in 53 mm-hmm. and, and he passed away in 2014. Right. Up until the, the mid 2000s, everything that had happened in Czechoslovakia was still sort of a secret. Right. Um, you know, the communists didn't fall until about 1990 and he didn't want you know, to get his, his family or his friends or anyone right. that helped him escape didn't want to get them in trouble so Mm -hmm. he couldn't really talk about it so much of the story that's in the book has never ever been told right um and and i was lucky enough to meet myra and befriend him Mm -hmm. and we spent a lot of time sitting in nice little bars or restaurants Uh with a cocktail or two swapping stories um and as i heard his story it, it just struck me this is too good a story to let pass away yeah um and it's it's sort of um one of the last of you know we, we talk about the greatest generation, right. the, the Americans that lived through the Depression mm-hmm. and World War II. This was just right on the heels of that. He lived through World War II. He lived through the Depression. Mm-hmm. But he lived through the Depression in, in Europe. And to get a chance to, to catch this story and tell the story, um, many of the principles in this book, you know, I, I did a lot of interviews with Bill Boeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the interviews, but before the book came out, Bill passed away. Um, and to, to be able to catch those stories before those people were gone, I feel very, very privileged. Yes, they're fascinating. I um, really loved reading the book. And it was interesting, too, to note that, you know, I think Mira was smart, or Myra, because he brought all those papers, right? Yes, yes. That was kind of his end, but he had a tough time when he came here because he was from a communist country. So as bad as he wanted to fly, it was a long road for him to be trustworthy. Yeah, at, at the time, at the height of the Cold War, that was also during the McCarthy hearings, mm-hmm. and there was nothing worse you could be than a commie. Right. Um, you Even though he wasn't, but he was from a communist country. Well, and and he he sort of was because um, when he lived in Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. he wanted to fly more than anything right. else. And in order to fly, you had to join the military. Mm-hmm. And in order to join the military, you had to sign a that paper that a said, communist. I'm a loyal communist. Right. So when he defected... Um, a, a lot of the, the people in the counterintelligence world said, yeah, but he is a communist. Right. Look, he signed these papers. Mm-hmm. He said he was a communist. So it took quite a while. 
right. for him to convince people that he wasn't. But one of the first guys he convinced that he was okay was President Dwight David Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind I, of a big person. That's that's a good guy. When you have if you've got to convince side. someone on your side. Um, so uh, and and another uh, well-known Seattle political figure was Scoop Jackson. So mm-hmm. he got. Um, I'm sorry, Warren Magnuson. He got Warren Magnuson mm-hmm. um, on his side, uh, and Warren uh, went to Eisenhower, and they actually drafted a law that allowed Myra to get a, a, uh, a pilot's license, a radio operator's mm-hmm. license. Specifically, it's a law that just mentions him specifically by really? name. Really? <laughs> How's that for tax That's dollars? That's pretty cool. That's, <laughs> well, that was 1953, yeah, so I'm none of our tax dollars went for that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and it's and it's a fascinating story, though, too, of, um, I mean, his passion was to fly. That was his goal and mission in life. And the various, like, ways he did it, right, from crop dusting to the acrobatics and all of the different things he did. He felt like the only time he was really alive was in an airplane mm-hmm. or a race boat going really fast. Right. That it was almost flying. But, yeah, he, um, if, if there are any pilots out there, Myra had 38,000 hours in an airplane. Over 900 Pacific crossings. I mean. Sounds like a lot. That's a lot. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't know what normal is, but that sounds like a lot. I, well, I, I was at a restaurant the other day, and I heard a guy bragging that he had 12,000 hours. So okay. That's, so that's, that's perspective for That's you. perspective. Three times as many. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And, uh, and he flew everything from little tiny gliders to right. great big 747s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, um, the book, I think, does a pretty good job of tying this, this wonderful sort of airplane community we have in, right. here in Seattle and Boeing into the sport of hydroplane racing. Right. Because um, at the time, Seattle was well known for two things. We had boats and we had airplanes. Mm-hmm. Well, the hydroplane is sort of right down the middle. It's half airplane, half boat. Right. Um, I never thought of it that way, but it really is, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it really is. That, and I think that's why they were so big and popular and successful here for so many years, is that we had a lot of people that worked with boats. We had a lot of people that worked with airplanes, and this would appeal to both of them. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, so you mentioned gliders. There was yes. a part of the story. Didn't he do a glider, like, like he, across the ocean? <laughs> it was something he did. Um, crazy that he did. He, uh, in, in, um, he bought a German-made glider called yeah. a Fournier that had a small Volkswagen engine in it, okay. a 36-horsepower Volkswagen engine. And he flew that 36-horsepower Volkswagen from Germany to California. Yeah. Um, like, I'm thinking if you can get from Seattle to Cleelum, that's... That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he crossed the Atlantic, and he crossed uh, Greenland, and he got to within 50 feet of the end of the runway, and he crashed in California. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then to prove that... He really was a good pilot. He rebuilt the plane and then flew it back to, to, to Germany. So he did have a successful oh, crossing. But, um, yeah, that was an amazing, amazing time. That's nuts. All right, let's talk more about the hydroplane part of it. All right. So, because now Mira's he's doing hydroplanes. Yes. God bless the man that, that he lived this long. Because, I mean, I think he had some big crashes. And he, talk about dangerous things. He, he was a cat with nine lives. You know, yes, he, I, it sounds like he, he used had, every one of them. He had several uh, big hydroplane crashes. Mm-hmm. He had a couple uh, airplane crashes. Um, but in, in, in 1956, there's nothing bigger in Seattle than hydro, hydroplane racing. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, there would be five 600,000 people come down to Lake wow. Washington. 
And that was a time when the population of Seattle was about 600,000 yeah. people. So, so you would have everybody. Everybody. <laughs> the whole state. Um, and, uh, and there was a, a – uh, Myra was lucky enough. Uh, he won his, his first race in 1957 down okay. in, uh, in on Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1958, he ended up driving for a boat called Miss Bardall based out of Ballard, okay. Holy Bardall out in Ballard. And he won a national championship mm-hmm. um, in 1958. And for someone who in 1956 had never even seen a hydroplane to mm-hmm. be a national champion in 1958, that's a pretty extraordinary accomplishment. Right, yeah. Um, and he, he continued to race. He had a, um, in 19, well, 1963, he had a pretty bad accident mm-hmm. on Lake Coeur d'Alene. So he gave up hydroplanes for a little while and he went to airplane racing. Because <laughs> that's the logical Because, <laughs> of course, wouldn't you? Like, you could take up knitting, you know, something really stable and safe. But no, high airplanes. Airplane that's racing. totally what I think when I think safer. And, um, <laughs> and he ended up winning the, the very first Reno Air Race and become national champion in airplane racing. So he's the only person uh-huh. in, so far that's been national champion in both airplanes and race boats. Right. And then two years after that, he went back to hydroplane racing, of course. Um, and he won. Our big race is the Gold Cup. Okay. Um, he, in, 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 50, in 66, he won the Gold Cup and the national championship. Mm-hmm. So he's got a whole string of national championships, both in hydroplanes and in airplanes. Um, and, Amazing. Um, ended up, he ended up going to work for Continental Airlines. Okay. Um, and Continental. Does he need a day job? Like he's not busy Well, everybody enough. needs a day job, I guess right? they do, right? It seems um, like this would take up all his time, but I guess he needs a day job. And, uh. And eventually, after about his fourth major life-threatening accident, Continental said, all right, you, you need to make a choice. You can fly for us and come to work every day, or you can keep racing and be in the hospital six months out of the year. Uh-huh. So he eventually retired from, uh, from racing and became a full-time pilot. But he still wanted to, to goof around a little bit, so he became a stunt pilot. He's like the master um, of the loophole. Like You said yes. I couldn't do this. I'm going to do that instead. <laughs> kind of like a teenage boy, you know? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> um, but he became a stunt pilot uh, and a very well-known stunt pilot um, and performed up and down the West Coast and all across the U.S. Actually, he did a really, really cool routine with a, uh, a glider, going back to the gliders. Okay. Um, and he had uh, freedom was sort of his deal. That's what he always wanted to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, and his glider routine towards the end was choreographed to... Andy Williams song "Born Free," oh, um, and he had red and blue. He had a white glider with red and blue smoke from the wingtips, and he would do all these wonderful loops and dives and rolls. And it was pretty. It actually was was really patriotic mm-hmm. um, and and kind of moving. And and that brings me to to what I've always thought is an interesting point. Um, some of the most patriotic people I've ever known have been immigrants, right? Because we're born here, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're sort of like, you know, we've always had it, and we don't really value it. The people that have made that choice to hijack a plane mm-hmm. and come across the Iron Curtain, um, you've got to really want it. And if you want it, you're going to take care of it, and you're going to care about it. Right. So, so within that, you know, certainly in the Czechoslovakia and expatriate yeah. community, there are some incredibly, incredibly patriotic people who weren't born here but just feel a tremendous love for the country because they— you know, they made the choice to come here. Which is, I, you know, I think for all things, appreciation and gratitude is brought out of contrast, right? Yes. So you have to have contrast to appreciate one thing or have gratitude for it. So um, 
yeah, I think you're right. There are a lot of immigrants who are more patriotic, I think, than maybe people who were born and raised here. It's something that we do. We try to do with our boys once a year. We yeah. try and go on a trip to somewhere different, right? I love living here. I love raising my boys here. I have no desire to move, but there is more to life than the 425. Actually, I love the 425. <laughs> There's more to life than. So it's good for them to experience other things as well. So that's great. And I know Myra was a huge proponent of freedom in the United States and everything that our country stands for. He, he actually... Um, during the time he lived in Seattle for about 10 years, he told me that he did over 600 public speeches, um, which wow. imagine speaking in front of an audience in a language that is not your first language. Right. Um, but that he did over 600 public speeches to high schools and JCs mm-hmm. and um, you know, rotary clubs and that type of thing, talking about what he felt the value of freedom was. That's great. And you do need to hear it from different perspectives. So I think that's great that he... God, he was a great guy. He he truly was, and you know, we got to be very very good friends. And I I tried for a couple of years to mm-hmm. to write his biography. This is the ninth book that I've written. Oh wow! Um, and when I first met him, I said, Oh God, we we should write your story. And he had a um, he had another author that mm-hmm. he was friends with that um, that he thought would would do maybe a better job. It was mm-hmm. a a better-known author, uh, someone with a, a, a bigger name. Oh, okay. Believe it or not, a bigger name. But, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at any rate, he, um, that author had some health problems and decided not to do it. Um, and I, I kind of bugged him for a little while. And then he found an author in, in Czechoslovakia that was just going to write the escape story, just mm-hmm. write about this the defection and sure. the CIA and all that, not even mention boat racing. Um, but that author moved on, and then eventually uh, Myra was diagnosed with cancer, mm. and he called me up um, on a sort of rainy afternoon in February and said, David, uh, how much can we get done in six months? Because I've only got six months left. Wow. So I pretty much hopped a plane and went down to California where he was living and took my little tape recorder mm-hmm. and started interviewing um, and uh, got um, some tremendous stories. The original manuscript of the book was about 600 pages long. Oh, and, my goodness. And my publisher said, you know, if you leave it at 600 pages, it'll never get published. Mm-hmm. When when you die in however many years and your kids are cleaning out your house, they're going to find it in the underwear drawer oh. and go, oh, hey, here's dad's book, and then throw it away. So uh, We've got to love brutal honesty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so we cut about a third of it out. You did a phenomenal job with the story. Again, if you are just joining us, we are talking with David Williams, the executive director of the Hydroplane Museum, and his book, The Race to Freedom, The Myra Slovak Story. It's an amazing, compelling story. So we'll have links on the website after the show, uh, com forward slash podcast. They can find out more about you and the Hydroplane Museum um, and the book because it's just it's fascinating. And you've got, um, we'll jump to present okay. time, you've got some uh, hydroplane stuff going on this weekend. I people want to do, I jump do. Uh, the, the museum puts on an event called Mahogany and Merlot over at Lake Chelan. Oh, I love it. And it is a combination, uh, this is Crush. This is their, right. it, over in yeah. wine country, they're harvesting grapes right now and, mm-hmm. and they're crushing them. Um, and it is just a gorgeous, gorgeous time of year to be in eastern Washington, especially up in wine country in Chelan. We are taking, um, there will be 24 limited hydroplanes, mm-hmm. which are, well, vintage limited. Okay. Um, they're automotive-powered boats that most were built in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll take 
11 unlimited hydroplanes. Mm-hmm. The oldest one we're taking is from 1908. Okay. Um, wow. And it's all, a lot of these boats were built out of mahogany, which is where the mahogany, uh-huh. part of the mahogany and Merlot comes in. We also have about two dozen uh, vintage Chris Craft runabouts that will be on display, uh, about a dozen vintage cars, and then a really neat vendor's booth area where there's lots of arts and crafts. So we kind of take over Chelan. I love for it. For about uh, three days, we have uh, a street dance on Friday night. We have um, racing, well, not actually racing, exhibitions. Mm-hmm. We're running exhibitions all day on Saturday. Um, and then Saturday night, there's a, a big barbecue and a, another dance with a live band. Oh, and then Sunday, good. more racing, and there are also wine tours. Yeah. Um, so we try and strike a balance where there's something for everybody to do. Yeah. You know, if you go over with your with your husband or your partner and, you know, he wants to hang around and look at the boats, but you want to go taste wine, mm-hmm. well, then you go off and taste wine and, uh, and he hangs out at the boats. Just as long as everybody meets up at the end of the day and there has a good go. time. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you guys do that every year? We do it every year. This is our ninth annual Mahogany okay. and Merlot. I love the name. Yeah. It's kind of that alliteration. There's not a lot of Merlot grown over in Chelan, but we couldn't find anything that rhymed with Pinot Noir. Right. That's a little tough. <laughs> that's awesome, though. And it's, um, you know, the hydroplanes, I think, are fun. They're just, they're works of art. Well, thank you. Just to see them. It's amazing to see what they look like and how they're all put together. And I left out the best part about Mahogany oh. Merlot. What? It's free. No way. Yes, it's free. Um, cool. We, we have other avenues to raise money. So all the events we do, well, the dinner we charge for. Uh-huh. Uh, but the street dance is free. The reception when you get there is free. All the racing activity is free. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, you should have a good turnout, I think. It I should be think a it's going to be weekend. gorgeous, gorgeous weather. Yeah, beautiful yeah. weather. And there's a lot of people over in Chelan. I know there a lot are. of people that go over there on a regular basis. So. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for You're joining very us welcome. today, David. My pleasure. Absolutely. Oh, again, we'll have all the links on the website after the show, NicoleMangina.com forward slash podcast. And I need to do a little clarification from last week's show. I had um, Hope Link on here, and they're amazing, but I kept talking about the pantry packs. Apparently, Hope Link doesn't do the pantry packs anymore, like Washington School District does. So if you're on Hope Link trying to contribute to pantry packs and you can't, that's why. You have to go to Lake Washington School District. But... Go to HopeLink, contribute to them because they have amazing, amazing programs. They do phenomenal things for the community, housing, education, transportation, job searches, all of that. Um, But I did want to clarify in case you're like, uh, what's this gal talking about? Because I'm on the website and I can't find it. (laughs) So there you go. That's the beauty of live radio. Um, So anyway, thanks so much for joining us today, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you very much.